I would like to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to uh, the book of Philippians. We continue our morning series through the book of Philippians today by looking at Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. So the focus of the sermon today will be on verses 12 and 13. I would like to begin the reading in verse uh, 5, though. And so before we hear God's word, if you would, join your hearts together with me in in prayer. Please pray with me. Our Father and our God, indeed, you are on high. Your throne is in heaven, and you have seated your Son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah King, at your right hand. And yet you are still near to us. You are near to us by your Spirit who dwells inside of the church And you come near to us in your gospel as you speak to us from Holy Scripture. We pray, Father, that you, by your Spirit, would open the ears of your servants, that we might listen and hear and obey the voice of our Savior, Jesus Christ, speaking to us, and that we might take these words and work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We pray that you would do this good work in your people to the praise of your glorious grace in Jesus Christ, in whose precious name we pray. Amen. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse uh, 5, beloved, this is the word of God. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord remains forever. Well, there's an obvious connection uh, between the glorious Christ hymn of verses 6 through 11 and the exhortation that Paul gives here in these two verses, work out your salvation. For Paul begins verse 12 with the word, therefore, in light of what Christ has done, which we looked at in the previous verses, and in light of the example that Christ has stamped upon our minds, therefore, what he has done, his humiliation and exaltation, therefore, we are to work toward being more like him. That's the connection. Paul addressed the church here as his Beloved, therefore, my beloved. He doesn't just say, therefore, beloved, either. He says, therefore, my beloved. In general, friends, in general, by virtue of our faith union with Christ, we belong to one another. We, in a sense, possess one another. We possess each other in the Lord Jesus Christ because we are his one body. So we belong to one another. For Paul, though, at least with this church, Paul makes it clear in this letter that because of their ongoing love, and this is the fact that we belong to one another is true for all Christians, 
But for Paul and his relationship with this church in particular, Paul makes it clear in this letter that because of the ongoing love of the Philippians toward him, because of their mutual help and support in his ministry of the gospel, even while he was in chains, even while he was in chains for the gospel, he tells them he held them in his heart. They were very dear to him. He said so in chapter 1. He says, I hold you in my heart. You are dear to me. And he lavishes even more terms of endearment upon them in chapter 4. He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and whom I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And so too here, my beloved. He's about to give them an exhortation, a command even to work out their salvation. He wants to know that this command comes from a place of sincere love. He truly loves this church. They are dear to him. They are his beloved. And so he says, therefore, my beloved, work out your salvation. And that is the main thrust of these words here. But Paul supports this command. He says, he's essentially saying in these two verses, church, my beloved, my dear friends in the Lord, work out your salvation. That's the main point of this passage. But he supports that main command with descriptions. Now, you might think of the main character in a good story. There is a setting for that character. There is also a plot that surrounds that character, that gives color to that character and helps define who that character is. Where are they? What is happening around this main character? Well, work out your salvation would be the main character here. But Paul gives a little more information. He fills fills out the plot, as it were, to show us what that actually means. He fills it out to give us the meaning of working with a reference here to obedience. As you have always obeyed, work out your salvation as you have always obeyed. Now this word obeyed is essentially a, or is, a different form of the same root word that was used in the Christ hymn, where Paul said, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. The same word there that's translated obedient, the same root of that word is used here, as you have always obeyed. And so this command here is directly connected to what we have seen in Christ and his work. There's a relationship there, and it helps us understand what it means to work out our salvation. Now, we'll come back to this in just a minute. But the other thing I would like us to see here is that working out our salvation, it's associated with obedience. Working out our salvation is defined on some level by being obedient. As you have always obeyed, work out your salvation. So there's a connection with Christ's obedience And then in this command, there's a connection with being obedient. Work out your salvation has a relationship with the command to be obedient. If you want to know what it means to work from verse 12, it is partly to obey. That's essentially what I'm trying to get across here. Obey whom? If that's true, then obey whom? Obey what? Well, for the Christian, we are to obey Christ and his gospel. That is... Uh, where we get our directives from. Jesus Christ on high and his gospel as it comes to us in his word. 
Paul said in chapter 1, verse 27, he said, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In other words, live as a citizen of a heavenly city that is governed on high by the gospel. That is what we are to obey, and Jesus is who we are to obey. The city is filled with people and characterized by people who obey the gospel. So that's partly what working out our salvation means. Now this also takes us back to the Christ hymn. And in in that Christ hymn, we see that Jesus was obedient. He obeyed. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That's the kind of obedience that we're talking about. And so if we take all of this together that we've just mentioned here, this all tells us that working out our salvation looks like taking up our cross daily for the sake of others in the church. That's what it looks like. Taking up your cross daily for others in the same manner that Christ did. He was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And so our obedience is cross-shaped. It's cross-stamped, in other words. It is a conscious and active denying of oneself for your neighbor. That's what obedience is about in the Holy Scriptures. Now the other thing we see here is something that Paul had already mentioned in a similar context. We just looked at part of this verse already in chapter 1, verse 27. We looked at something that was said here, that was already said earlier in the letter. This is back in chapter 1. Paul said, Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent. Mention here of whether Paul is there or not, he wants to see them living in a manner that's consistent as being part of a citizen or being a citizen of a heavenly city. And now again here in verse 27, he says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, whether I'm with you or not, work out your salvation. Now, why did Paul mention this again, his possible absence and his presence with them? Well, it might be that Paul was looking forward somewhat to the end of the apostolic age. Paul was an apostle. There were other apostles. They would die off and there would be no more apostles after them. The church would then be governed by pastors and elders. And so it may be that Paul is looking forward to that. Once the apostles are gone, this exhortation still stands. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You might think of the way in which students in a classroom, they obey if the teacher's in the room. Once the teacher steps out of the room, it's quite a different story. Well, Paul doesn't want to see that in the church. He wants them to be sincere. Whether Paul is with them, whether the apostles are with them, he wants to see them working out their salvation. Now, Paul, at this point, of course, he was absent from them. He was in prison, but he was confident that he would see them again. Now, it may have been the case that this church was more likely to obey and be unified when Paul was present with them. Maybe Paul had some inclination into the characteristics of this church. They were uh, more unified when Paul was present with them as opposed to when Paul uh, was gone. So he's reminding them it shouldn't be that way. Whether I'm here or gone, 
you are to be unified in the faith. Uh, but Paul, uh, and so Paul is reminding them of this. But there would come a time when the apostles would leave for good, and this church would then need to mature. The apostles have passed from the scene, and they couldn't cling to the apostles for their faith. They would have to mature on their own. They would have to take hold of this faith that they have on their own, without the presence of such a dynamic and strong leader as Paul. They they would have to have a spiritual maturity within them that says, if our leader is here or away, we will seek to obey the gospel. That is what Paul is after within this church. Now, this kind of thing happens, friends, with our children, does it not? Our children are, in a sense, forced to come with us to church every Sunday if we do that. But at some point, those children grow up at 12, 13, 14, maybe 17, 18, at some Somewhere in there, those children, and this is to you, children sitting here this morning, you have to start taking your faith seriously. You have to start making your faith your own. And that's what we've been looking at and experiencing for the last several months, really, is children doing just that, confessing their faith in front of the Lord, in front of uh, God's people. That is the expectation for children in in Christian families, that at some point, You would work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, whether mom and dad are with you or not. And that's something of what is happening here with the Apostle Paul. He wants to see the church mature into a place where they make this their own. Whether Paul is there or not, they are going to do what they've been told to do here. So God calls us, and this is an expectation, an obligation placed upon all of us as well, that God calls each of us to take responsibility for our own spiritual growth in some manner. But this is a command placed upon uh, this church, each one of us, not just individually, yes, individually, but also corporately. He's speaking to the whole church at Philippi. And so this was a call upon all the members of this particular church to do just this, to work out their own salvation. Whether Paul was present with them or absent from them, they were to do this together. He'd already talked about unity. This was something that they were to do together as a body, not just individually. They were to work out their salvation together as a local body in Philippi. Now the charge to us, friends, then, is that every one of us here at Providence, young and old, And in between, that every one of us would grow up in spiritual maturity. That we would grow up in spiritual maturity in all sorts of ways by helping others and by being dependent even upon others in the faith. So a greater unity. That is what Paul was hoping to see here. Working out our salvation, friends, is done corporately, together, as a body. This happens in Christian families. Often Christian families will go through times when God is leading every member of that family to a greater spiritual maturity. And thus, that spills out into the church as well. This is an expectation upon all the families in the church that we would grow up in the Lord. So whether, Paul says, whether I'm there or I'm away, work out your salvation. Now Paul adds another description here to show us what should characterize our working. He says, with fear and trembling. Now, this is not necessarily the fear and trembling 
that you might think of in regard to being utterly terrified about something. This is rather a reference to the deep and the sober reverence and honor that we should have for God and for his word. A serious approach, a serious state of mind, a serious state of the heart when we're thinking about what God calls us to do with fear and trembling, recognizing that God on high is speaking to us. The God of the universe is calling us to do these things. And so we are to have a healthy fear and trembling before God and before God's Son to whom we will give account. This is, in other words, this is not something we should look at flippantly or carelessly as some add-on to what we do in the rest of our life. There's a, to be a healthy measure of fear and trembling as we hear the words of God come to our ears. In a word, we should be like Christ. Christ humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, and Jesus, as he did that, he said, while in agony, on the night of his betrayal, if you remember, with sweat, like drops of blood falling from him to the ground as he's thinking about the cross, what did Jesus pray? He said, not my will, but yours be done. That is the attitude we are to have. There is a sense of sobriety there, seriousness of what Jesus faced, of what we face, of what we're called to do and to be in this world. And so with fear and trembling, we are to do this. Now, there's an obvious tension in these verses. In verse 13, Paul gives us the ground for his command to work. In verse 12, he says, he he tells the church to work in verse 12. And then in verse 13, he gives the ground for why we should do this. He says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And so verse 13 here makes it clear that Christians are only able and willing to do this, to work out our salvation, to obey, because God has sovereignly worked in us already and continues to do so. It is only because of God that we even care about what Philippians 2, 12 and 13 says. And it's only because of God, ultimately, that we actually respond to words like this with obedience. Paul said that God began a good work in his people, and that's from chapter 1, and he will bring it to completion. He will bring it to completion. Meaning God does this. Now this text is a key text for us when we think about our sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is the process by which we more and more die to sin and live unto righteousness. We are more and more made like Christ. That is a process in the church that we go through. The Shorter Catechism describes sanctification as a work of God. It is something that he's working, he's doing. He's actively creating in us something different. He's making us like his son. Now what is important for us to understand here is that the relationship between us and God in terms of our salvation and what we are in Christ is likened elsewhere by Paul to a lump of clay and the potter. A potter who is working with a lump of clay and wants to turn it into some type of dish or pot, whatever it may be, the potter doesn't ask permission of the clay to do so. The potter doesn't request if it's okay if he can make the lump of clay into a pot. He just does it. He's the potter. He has authority over it. And so God is sovereign. He's sovereign in what he has made us to be. 
and he is sovereign over what he is making us presently to be. God works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. God gives us a new heart. He gives us new desires. He gives us the mind of Christ. He gives us faith. He gives us his spirit. And by the power of his spirit, he recreates us. He makes us more like his son. He works in us, as Paul says here. He's working directly inside of us by his spirit. Working with his word. And so this is what is happening. Regardless of whether or not we recognize it, or fully appreciate it, this is, what, this is the reason for the command. Work out your salvation because God is already at work in you. He's worked internally. He's worked by his spirit internally in the body of Christ, collectively, as a body, that's, that we might be able to obey the gospel. Now, this ongoing work of God in us is part of our salvation, that Paul says here. Work out your own salvation. Now, this is, does not mean, friends that by our working, we can earn favor with God. That is not what this means. It is not as though we earn our salvation through our working or we earn acceptance with God by our obedience. That is impossible. We cannot please a holy God. Our justification is an accomplished fact. Jesus has assured us of that. Jesus has accomplished that. That's what we looked at in the Christ hymn. We are accepted our sins are forgiven. We are adopted into God's family because of what Jesus has done and because of what God has done in us. He's given us faith. He's united us to his son. We contributed nothing to that work. He did it. And it's a once for all thing. He's made us part of his family. And as part of this family, we can never be let go because he's our father. That is a one-time thing. And so by faith, every one of us, every single one of us in the church is justified. We are accepted. Our sins are forgiven. And that is part of our salvation. But it's not all of it. It is not just that our sins are forgiven. That we can say that we are saved. There's more to it than that. The other part of our salvation is being made more like Christ. Not remaining in the same state as we were before, not dwelling in the same types of sin as we did before. That also is part of our salvation, as Scripture defines it, being made more like the Lord Jesus Christ. That is also part of our, the whole package of salvation that God gives to us and the whole scope of salvation that God began in chapter 1, as Paul says in chapter 1. He began this work, he's going to finish it. He will complete it. God works in us to will and to work. It is a process that God will complete on the last day. We might think of Paul's words in chapter 3, later in this letter. He says, Jesus will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. There is a power at work in you now. There will be a power at work in you in the future. And there will be a power from on high that will transform your lowly body into a resurrected body on the last day. And so it is a work of God from beginning to end. And all of that, in scriptural terms, is salvation. All of that. Not just saying a sinner's prayer. It is 
encompasses all of those things. Work out your own salvation. And because God and Christ and the Holy Spirit sovereignly bring this about, God gets all the glory for his good pleasure. Now the tension, though, this is all very true, the tension, though, is, and most of us would agree with all that's just been said, the tension, though, is that what we see in verse 12 This divinely ordered sanctification process being made more like Christ is something in which we participate. Work out your salvation. If we don't participate in this work, these words have no meaning. There's an expectation on the other side of hearing these words. Achieve, do, produce, create, be active, work out your salvation. You're involved, you're not a passive spectator. Be energized to do this. Now, some of us, in order for us to work, we have to first wake up, right? We have to open our eyes. Open our eyes to what might be missing or lacking in our life as a Christian. So there's a tension here. God works and we work. Well, which is it? Who's doing the work? Who gets the credit? Is Is God like one of our coworkers at our jobs? Both, both of you working on the same project. Sometimes there's two on the same project and only one doing all the work. You have to carry the load. Is it like that? If God works, as we see here, should we just sit back and let him do everything? If we work, has God left us to ourselves to do all of that that's ex- expected here? Are we called then to be proud and completely self-sufficient because we work? Let's try to clear this up as much as possible. These are the questions and this is the, that are out there, and this is the tension that this, these verses produce. I want to try to clear this up as much as possible, and it's still a mystery. We'll get to the end of this, and we still have to accept that this is a mystery, the work of sanctification in God's people. I want to try to clear this up with several yes and no questions about our sanctification. Is it ultimately God who accomplishes beginning to end the sanctification process in us? Yes. Will God get all the glory when he is done? Yes. Is this work of sanctification by God one in which we participate? Yes. Does this mean that we contribute 50% and God contributes 50%? No. Is it more biblical then to say that God accomplishes 100% of our sanctification but we participate in the work. Yes. Will we get credit or glory for our work? No. But doesn't the Bible also promise a type of reward for our faithful obedience? Yes, it does. You might think of treasures in heaven. Blessed are the meek who inherit the earth. You might think of the joy and the gladness that is referred to in verse 18 of the same chapter. So, yes, the Bible does speak about a reward kept in heaven for our faithful obedience. Is the level or the degree of sanctification equal in all believers? No. Do you get help from God's Spirit, from prayer, from God's Word, from preaching, from the sacraments to do what Paul says we are called to do here? Yes, you do. Is this process of sanctification in believers a mystery that we cannot fully reconcile in our minds. Yes, it is. Now lastly, if we try by God's grace to work out or achieve something, what is it that we're trying to work out or achieve? 
What does working out our salvation look like in the church? Well, again, it is that we would become more like Christ. He humbled himself for others. He emptied himself for others. And so we too should humble ourselves for others, emptying ourselves, being obedient to the point of death for the sake of our neighbors. The church should be made up of then little Christs, as it were. We, and that's who we are. We're Christians. We take on his name. We are Christians, and that's what it means. That's what it looks like. That the world, that we would see the character of Christ in one another, both in what we say and what we do and what we believe and what we desire. His character and behavior should be evident in the church. This is what it means for each one of us uh, to be called just that, to be called Christians. This is what it means for us to work out our salvation, that we would be, that we would be more like him. And so, friends, knowing that God began a good work in you, he has given you his spirit, and knowing that by his spirit he has recreated you and he continues to work in you to recreate you, knowing that Christ dwells in you by his spirit, that he is fashioning you by his spirit and by his word to make you look and to make you act more like him, knowing all of these things, friends, work out your salvation. Work out your salvation, for in the end, God will get all the glory. To him be all praise and glory now and forevermore.